0: times does the Bible mention prayer? Yeah, a lot. But how many times? And there is actually a number, depending on if it's KJV or if it's the English Standard Version or some of those. Uh, The King James has a few more because they use the word, I pray thee. You remember, I pray thee that you do this, and it's actually kind of a, a request. So they have a few more. In fact, I'll give you a clue, over 200 more because it uses that. The second question I have today is who prayed the first recorded prayer in the Bible? Those are the two questions. And kids, you can write those down or if you have really good memories, you can write those down in a little bit. I'll go back to them. Oh, look at that, sometimes we need assistance when it comes to to getting to a place where we can pray. And I think there's some leftovers from the person that prayed before you. Look at that. I think Danielle likes some of those extra ones. Uh-oh, well I don't think she wanted that one anyhow. That's one of those black licorice, pastor likes those, I'll just take that one. Oh, Davidston didn't take the whole thing. he's not he's being assistant how many of you have ever prayed for something and you don't think you got an answer it's okay to say it how many of you didn't even pray for something and you got an answer to a prayer how many of you have prayed for someone else and it seems like God didn't listen And how many of you have prayed for yourself and it seemed like for a while God didn't listen? Yeah. That happens all the time. In fact, the first coin I set in here, nothing came out. And it's because I didn't shake it up enough. It didn't go down to the bottom. So we made sure in the way here that it was well shaken. So those are the two questions that I have How many times does the Bible mention prayer? And who prayed the first recorded prayer in the Bible? (laughs) He's wondering if he can get any more out of that thing. (laughs) Usually it gives about three. Yeah. Oh, how did you get extra coins? Oh, so you thought that he needed more prayer, more answers to prayer. <laughs> Is it having issues? I have to twist it so it goes like that. All right, as they are looking through this and and scanning and getting all their stuff back. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to start with verse (laughs) 8. We'll let them continue to get some answers from prayer. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And man said, The woman who you gave me with me, she was the one that gave me the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because of this, what you have done, you are cursed to the ground and more all of the cattle and more than every beast of the field and on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So let me ask you a question. When I talk about prayer, does this sound like a prayer? Not in traditional sense, does it? When I talk about prayer, what comes to mind? Usually what comes to mind, even in my heart, is this machine. It's something like this, that when I pray, I expect something to come back to me. Don't you? I expect that when I put my input that God will give me back an answer, that he will give me some kind of clue what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes it's not evident. In fact, sometimes you don't know what you're getting. If you eat through these, there is sweet, there is sour, and there is bitter. The bitter is more of the licorice. But you don't know. And then when you chew on it for a while, what happens? just before you swallow it it hits another part of your tongue and it goes a little sweet so lucas is going to be here cranking on this for a little while <laughs> <laughs> except for i have a i have you got you got three black licorice and one sour one you can have the black okay i was just checking Don't we sometimes look through our prayers and see the answer that we get and we judge whether it's good or bad? Based upon what? Sometimes faith, but our preconceived ideas of what is good. For instance, if you pray for healing and God strings that healing out for years and then finally one day you realize, oh, I was healed, but it took three years, is that an answer to prayer? It is. It is. But God, you sure took your time, didn't you? Or you pray and pray for somebody and you pray your whole life like my grandmother's, I mean, my grandfather's father prayed his entire life for his son, never knew it, but one day his great grandson would be like, Dad, we need to go to church. I suppose I better, because, well, that's the church of my faith, the church of my childhood. So prayer is something that is totally different than what we expect. We expect this so much, and it's so ingrained to us that when we ask, we will receive. In fact, there's part of the sermon that'll talk about that. But today, what I'd like, to, wow, that's a lot. That looks yummy. And one of them looks destroyed. Yeah, two of them look destroyed. But they still have really good taste. Especially the red ones. <laughs> Thank you. Those are answers to my prayer. (laughs) E.M. Bounds has a whole book on prayer. But E.M. Bounds has a mentioning of, and I'm gonna kind of paraphrase it because it's over three pages long. But we have two tendencies in Christianity. The first is to become a hermit and hold God all to ourselves. If I could eat all these by myself, it would be good. Not for me, but it would be good. The second is to make popular and trendy the gospel without consulting God. Those are the two things that Ian e. Bounds talks about when it comes to prayer. That's what we do when we worship. Those are the two tendencies that we have. Now, these are my own words, but it is from this section, tendencies to be avoided. So today, let's open a dialogue with one another about the dialogue we have with God. How many of you... Have ever started a conversation and never ended it? Some of you, I have a friend. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a dialogue that you've started with someone and you still haven't come to the end of it. Let's bow our heads as we ask God to be with us as we do a short study. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you'll be with us as we learn what it means to have a dialogue or conversation with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we start, turn your Bibles to Matthew 7, verse 7. How many of you have asked anything of a friend? Yeah. It's easy to ask things from a friend, correct? Yeah, unless it's too big. Be like, so can I have your car? We don't start with things like that. Can I borrow some... um, some sugar, some eggs, or something like that, or, you know, can I borrow your lawnmower, or can I borrow this? I mean, it's just little things, but I'd like us to look at this in, in talking about opening up a dialogue. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Or what man among you, who when his sons ask for a loaf of bread, will give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, he'll give them a snake? Or if then, being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask? So what is wrong with this theory of putting in and God just spits it out? He says, ask correctly. Yeah, I have to ask correctly and I ask because it's correct. But there's something a little wrong with this. If you read the whole thing, it doesn't just talk about if you ask and you want something, I'll give it to you. It's talking about the will of God and do we know his will. Do you have that friend that always asks things of other people? After a while, you see the people start to avoid them and run away. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, I'm trying to get people to help serve up front. I mean, that's just, they run away now because they see me coming. But if the person is persistent and non-relenting, sometimes we give in just because. Ask, 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 ask. But then after a while, some people—and this is, this doesn't happen in this church—it's demand, 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 demand. What would it be like if we were that way to God? If we would ask Him continually, ask, 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 and then after a while, I feel like I need to demand of God because I deserve it, don't I? Well, what's interesting about that is it really doesn't work too well. Now, this is the place in the sermon that I was gonna have people come up, but I figured it would take a long, long time. But what is your motivation for prayer? Some of you are like, well, I just wanted to go up front and get the candy. I mean, that's what I want to do. That was, it was kinda neat. I wanted to turn that thing, and you know, this is kinda one of those things, it's a novelty, it's really neat to do. But when we pray, what's the motivation? Do I get what I want? No. no, an unhealthy relationship expects that you get what you want all the time. To make God know about what's happening around here. I mean, God really needs to know what's going on around here, doesn't he? I mean, I got to tell him that sister so-and-so and Mr. so-and-so, well, they aren't being the best that they are. That's called tattletaling. <laughs> and by the way, God sees things and hears Everything to get someone else to become more like what I want them to be. Dear Lord, please, I pray that you'll make them more like me. Well, maybe not like me, but I pray that you'll make them more this way so that I can be around them more because they're really, really disagreeable. Or sometimes we pray to make God's mind be changed about a certain topic. We go through the Bible and we're like, I I can't really find it in here where it says I should or shouldn't do this. So I'm just gonna pray to God and I'm gonna ask him, please, can you uh, change your mind if it's already you know, set? Um, can you please make it this way? I mean, uh, the lottery was 200, and, I mean, two point, I forgot, anyhow, something billion dollars. I mean, God, can I change your mind? Just this once? And then we see in the Bible over and over again that at the end of prayers, you hear this over and over again. Not my will, but yours. I don't know how many of you have ever prayed for the life of a loved one and lost them. But that part of the prayer is the hardest part of the prayer to pray. Not my will, but yours. Humility is one of the hardest teachings of Christianity. Prayer is one of those things that in the United States, we typically think of what kind of action when there's prayer? What do we typically think people do when they pray? In our culture, what do we ask people to do this morning when we pray? Kneel. That's not exactly what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about people praying like this. Talks about people praying like this. This is gonna be uncomfortable because I'm not as young as I used to be. Did you know that's actually a position of prayer? Luther practiced it a lot on cold, hard, damp rocks but it's called prostrating yourself before God. And all of this, it looks like, and I I look at it and I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting, but man, it's kind of weird what we do. What makes this tradition popular? Really, what it's saying is, I'm becoming humble in the face of God. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Some it's kneeling, some of it's prostrate. Some of you roll out of bed and lay there. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've done that before too. But becoming humble before God is something that we all need to do. First Peter, five, verse five. If you would turn there with me, one of those little teeny books. Let's see if Pastor Nelson going to find it. They tend to stick together. First Peter, five. Verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of your and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. And some of you are like, Well, that's only to the youth. Well, in some respects, but in two other respects, it's talking about anybody that has any power whatsoever over you, if it's a boss or whatever, it doesn't matter, that our humility is to submit. And if you have no one to submit to, you have to submit to God. And that is one of the hardest things I could ever ask anybody to do is submit to God. Because I can't do it for you. I can only do it for myself. And that's one thing when our children, and you can listen, young people, we can't force you to worship the God we worship. But we have to just ask you, do you want to? We can't force you, we can't make you do anything, but we do want you to fall in love with the God that we know. And what's amazing about that is that God sometimes speaks in spite of us. I have a story here that uh, comes from Jamaica. Many years ago, uh, God went out to uh, this place called Kingston. Some of you know where that's at. And a group of theological students learned how to preach and how to share an evangelistic meeting. There was this young guy named Luther Warren, and he was one of the ones that learned a little slower in the class and got everything, but he was very meticulous. And he got to the point where he was supposed to do his presentation. That night, the conference president was sitting not too far from the left side, right at the end, so he could see him. He was looking down and looking at him. And you know there's no pressure when the big guy is there, you know, there's no pressure whatsoever. And so he started preaching and they were they were instructed how to do everything. It was almost a manuscript. And all of a sudden about a quarter of the way through he went off script. And he started preaching on the state of the dead. He started preaching on the mark of the beast. He went down through every single topic that they were supposed to do the whole time. And the conference president became a pile of mush. He slinked down his chair and almost laid on the ground. He was like, oh, no. And then the young man had the audacity to say, and I would like to give a call, and anyone who wants to follow Jesus, please come down front. Can you imagine even the professor listening, going... I didn't tell you to give everything all at once, which all pastors are tempted to do, by the way, and sometimes your pastor has even gone overboard with time. But there's a point to this story. After that night, the conference president was puzzled, and the teacher was puzzled, and they asked him about it, and he says, I don't know. I prayed right before the service, and I don't know what hit me but I felt like no one's business that I had to share this. I'm sorry, give me an F. I I just had to, something impressed me, I had to do this. I'm sorry I didn't mean to disobey you but I had to teach this. Late that night, the town started to shake and it almost destroyed all of the infrastructure. Some of you, if you read history, you know that there was an earthquake and it destroyed much of that town. You see, God sometimes uses us and speaks through us if we're in a constant state of prayer and he says that I'll use you in a way that I'm not going to use any, I mean, you'll never have this happen again, but I'm going to use you. And so when we talk about humility and we talk about the bad things and the good things that happen in life, usually there's a universality of truth. Humility allows the truth to come forward and to be enabled in each one of us if we're in that constant communication with God. So if you have a problem and you're really dumbfounded, you have no clue where to go, or even if you have a question of God, or even that God exists, you go to God first. Because if you don't know if God exists, you're going to have to find it out. And if you want to use the scientific method, it may or may not work. But I guarantee you this, that if you look for God, you'll find something I have never, ever been disappointed. But be careful when you ask that question God, do you exist? And go looking. Because I'll tell you a story right at the end where a guy that was an agnostic, which doesn't mean they deny God, but that maybe, maybe not, that all of a sudden God showed up. I do have a question for you this morning. When you go to God first, what do you ask him? Um, God. Um, um God. Which, which color are you gonna give me? Um, I'd really, really like the black ones. But you know what? If I had to have second chance, uh, second choice, I would really like the red ones. They're really sour. I really like them. Okay, God, can you can you do that? Don't read too much into that. (laughs) (laughs) And some of you that are mathematicians, you guys are going through probabilities like crazy right now. (laughs) I know you. You're like, well, depending on how many are in there, that you could have got, mm, and you start doing the calculations. And some of you would be absolutely correct down to the little minutia. But there are green, there are yellow, white, pink, orange, and I even saw a purple one in there, but I think that was masquerading under another one. But there you go. And do they make sense? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But we miss the point if we start bargaining with God before the prayer's even over. We start losing the impact of what prayer really is if we look and say, I would like this answer, or I would like that answer. Really what we're doing is we're telling God, I could do your job better than you can if you just listen to me. And let me tell you, I have fallen in that camp so many times. I bartered with God and be like, uh, I'll, I'll just tell you what, I'll do this, that, or the other thing. And God's like, no, I'll answer it the way I need to. So we go to God first. We talk it over as we read the Bible with God. We have others pray with us because, you know, a lot of people praying about the same subject is a good thing. And then what is the final thing that we do? Not my will, but your will, oh God. This is the hardest thing to ever pray because we know what we want and that God should answer. I mean, that's what that text said at the beginning. If anything that we ask, we should be able to receive. And God says, that's not the point of prayer. The point of prayer is a dialogue that you and I have. Why don't you just talk to me about what's going on? I want to hear from you. Imagine the disciples, if they never talked to God the whole time that they were following him. Can you imagine what would happen? But that's how I behave sometimes when I don't take it to God. I think I can handle it myself. Humility is, in fact, one of the hardest, hardest things to learn as a Christian because I'm not in control of the world. Let's look on a larger latitude. Leverage. How many of you could leverage something with God? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't have anything to leverage with God. Some of us do. I mean, we say this. I mean, I'm a sixth generation, seventh day Adventist. God, you owe me a little bit. I mean, come on. I mean, I stayed with the faith. I'm the sixth one that says yes. True, Grandpa went, no, and came back. But I mean, I'm the sixth generation. I mean, there not there something to that God? No. Well, I've, I've, been, a, I've been a deacon my entire you know, adult life. I mean, doesn't that leverage anything to me? I read the Bible every day and sometimes twice. And this is, I mean, you know, I mean, come on, God, is this not something? But sometimes that's how we behave. So the disciples, they had these things swimming around in their heads just like you do today. And it came down to this text. Here's the text that we'll end with. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 11, verse 1. This is where we'll end but I think it's a great beginning. It happened while Jesus was praying. Oh, Jesus was praying. You don't think of the God of the universe praying, but he did. In a certain place after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, do this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us this day each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgiven everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, and he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and it goes to him at midnight and says, friend, let me have three loaves, For a friend of mine has come from me on a long journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, What? (laughs) Don't bother me. (laughs) The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you that even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because he is persistent, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So a friend, if he says, Hey, I drove all the way over here. I don't have any bread. And every single store is closed. And our quick trip is out of bread. Can you please give me some bread? No, go away. Oh, go away. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. Go away. Not paying attention to you. Oh, if he doesn't go away, I can never go to sleep. All right, I'll get up and give you some bread. He uh, gets up and gives him some bread. Sometimes I think we think like that man, that God really has to be convinced that we need something. But if you look at this text, if you look at this text, you'll find that you've, in fact, some of you are like, that's not the one I'm used to. There's another one. It's also in, uh, I think it's Matthew. Yeah, Matthew 6, 7, and, well, actually, 6 through 9. It's actually the chapters. But when you're reading through it, we know the one, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, our well, it depends on which version, but debts as we forget those that are debtors or trans- uh, tra- trespasses. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We all know that from childhood, and some of you children are like, "No, I never uh, memorized that." That's because we did, and that's because we didn't want it to be forced. But it's a good prayer to remember because in that prayer, in that prayer, is number one reverence for God. Number two, it is our desire to be with God and God to be with us. Number three. It shows the scope of influence that God has, heaven and earth. Number four, it talks about our daily needs. Our daily needs are taken care of by God. Even the ability for you to work and make money is from God. And then the relationship with God and man is mentioned here that it is tight. It is something that never ends. And then it talks about our strength, which is zero, and then it talks about giving back the credit for God, to God about everything. Every time that I look at a prayer, I understand that it's a conversation that we have. I talked about a conversation that never ends. I have friends that we're still having the same conversation four or five years later because that's all we get together. But we really enjoy one another's company, but we still have the same conversation. And sometimes... Don't you have this conversation with God? God, I really need this, but if you won't give it to me, it's, it's okay. But please, dear God, and you pray that over and over and over again, and then one day you look back and you realize, oh, God answered that prayer, and I didn't even know it. And so sometimes we think that if God does not answer a prayer in a way that we want, and it leaves a, Sour taste in our mouth. I dare not put the black one in my mouth after that. (laughs) That God's not listening to us. But he is. I have one last story to share with you. I have one last story (laughs) that is uh, kind of an interesting one. There was a guy, uh, F.B. Meyer, was asked a question about uh, being well, he was actually supposed to talk to first-class passengers, and there was a lot of those back in the, when the ships would go back and forth. And uh, he talked about answered prayer. And he talked about an agnostic who was listening and who was kind of ignoring everything because he's like, God, eh, whatever. I mean, I don't really need him. And so he had uh, two oranges in his hand, and he was contemplating what to do with them. And he was just kind of like, well... I listened to that sermon, and I listened to all the talks that were going on. And he goes, oh God, it's a kind kind of a quaint thing, and okay. He's kind of a babbler, talks on and on. Before starting the service, the agnostic put the two oranges in his pocket. On his way out of the meeting, there was an elderly woman sitting on the deck fast asleep. Her hands were open. In the spirit of fun, the agnostic decided, <laughs> she's asleep. I'm gonna put the two oranges in her hands <laughs> and see what happens when she wakes up. Be like, Pfft. I mean, I don't know what she'd do. <laughs> so he puts them in her hands. And of course, he has to see this. I mean, how many of you have curiosity? I mean, he had to see what happens. So he was watching from a distance. She woke up, and I don't know how she hung on to him while she was sleeping, but she looked down and a look of joy came over her, over her face and she was so, oh, she was looking, she peeled one and she started eating it. And the guy looked at her and he was like, I don't know, okay, I got, I'm, curiosity, I got to go ask. So he asked her, he says, why are you so happy? You know, this is kind of random, somebody put an orange in there, they could have poisoned it or whatever. And she goes, oh, no, 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 you don't understand, you don't understand. I have been really wanting a piece of fruit, and this was back before cruises would give you as much food you wanted, you had to pay for it. So I really didn't have enough money and I really was craving some oranges because I really, really needed some vitamin C. I was feeling a little down. And she says, I prayed and prayed for like two days now and all of a sudden I woke up and there's these two oranges in my hand. The agnostic looked at her and was like. (laughs) And believe it or not, eventually he went to an evangelist and he says, you know what, I need to hear more about this God of yours that uses me, an agnostic, to answer a prayer. He says, that's just random. He says, if you do the calculations, that's infinitesimally no, that can't happen. So just letting you know that sometimes God speaks even to people that don't believe. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father, we only started a conversation today. We only opened up a little door today of what it's like to have a conversation with you. Dear Father, please have the dialogue open so that we can ask you anything. And dear Father, even without expectation that we would just be able to continue talking to you and that you would answer our prayers in the way that you need to answer them because if it is our will, dear Father, it might be a little corrupt. Dear Father, we want it to be absolutely pure. We want you to answer it. We want you to be the one that gets the credit. And we want you to be the one that takes center stage. Dear Father, we pray that you'll continue to be with us as we learn And as we understand you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, are the levies here?